Welcome to the Geek to Geek podcast, where we're starting by jumping into magic today. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beach. Abracadabra! Not that kind of magic. <laughs> today we're talking about <gasps> Magic the Gathering a little bit. We're talking about Magic the Gathering Jumpstart, specifically. And I've been playing it digitally, but it also came out physically with physical cards, so either one is totally valid. But I just wanted to, like, bounce oh. it off of you, because... I know I've talked at you about it, but we haven't really gotten to have this conversation. So I thought on air might be a good time to do it. That's weird. I didn't know that it was a uh, a physical thing. I thought it was only for Arena. No, actually, the physical one, like Arena is only when they're having special events for it, um, which when they launched it, they had a special event that ran for basically a full month. It just wrapped up or it's in the process of wrapping up this week. Um, but the the physical cards, they're still out there. They're still coming out. Like you can go get them right now. And oh wow, I just I don't know. I love this format, so I wanted to talk about it. So Magic the Gathering. Uh, I think most people who listen to this probably know what that is, just from Osmosis from Geeky Culture. Um, but you know, <laughs> competitive card game. Jumpstart is different in that instead of being one of the other formats, right? So when you're talking about Magic, there's formats, like there's limited play, which is something like you draft cards and you have a tournament based on only those cards that you drafted and turning those into a deck. Or the other one that we've talked about in the past is Sealed. That's one that I really like, where you just get a couple packs and then you have to make do with whatever you get, you know? So it doesn't have that drafting component, but it's kind of this improvisation component that i like um and then there's like standard which is any of the cards that are like legal to play right now in standard you can mix and match and that's where a lot of the metagaming comes in but all of these revolve around like deck building in one way or another and as much as i like playing card games like especially you know um collectible or trading card games or living card games like i love piloting a good deck and playing a game that's like fun to get my head around i just have never been a fan of deck building and Remind me, were you ever a fan of deck building? I like deck building, but it's one of those things that I don't wrap my head around just sets in in, in their whole, right? So, like, you can give me a base of a deck, and then I'll tweak it to however I want to play it. I'll notice that I don't like how this card plays and see synergy with something else uh, from a different deck I've played or a different part of the meta, and I'm good for that. But I am not good at just looking at, you know, uh, the core set 2020 and whatever the block is and be like, oh, this is how all of these cards tie together. I can make one cohesive like uh, kind of deck on my own. I just don't, uh, I can't do that. So I like taking a base deck and altering it in some way. Yeah, and I, I really like taking decks that other people have built that are interesting or good or both, hopefully, um, and just playing them. So in my mind, the deck building, I know some people really like that as part of the fun. For me, it's the opposite. For me, deck building is like the upkeep and the maintenance and the admin task that I have to do before I can actually play the game that I enjoy. And the thing about Jumpstart is it kind of gets rid of that. And it's just, it's a new format. It's a new way of playing Magic where you open up Jumpstart decks and they come in packs of 20 cards. And so you get two 20-card packs, um, and they're just booster packs, and every one of them has a theme to it. Um, So you can open up a bunch of them, and you can just look at the themes, right? And you pick two themes that you think would be interesting together or would be crazy together or might just be kind of weird and you want to see what happens, Um, and you take those two decks and you just shuffle them up and you play, and that's it. So you're going off of things that's like 
you just see like tree hugging mermaids you're like yeah i'm gonna try that i'm gonna try tree hugging mermaids and you can just start playing like you don't have to look through the deck you're actually not supposed to look through the deck or the cards you're literally just supposed to shuffle and play and it's like Hmm. it's a pre-constructed half deck that is on theme for whatever the name of that theme is so you know it will work and then it's this mashup with the other half theme that you've chosen and you know it has all of the the lands like pre-decided for you you don't have to figure out how many lands and how many creatures and how many spells and all of that kind of again to me it's just that like admin like stuff up front that i just don't enjoy i don't have to think about it at all i can just be like oh yeah i want the plus one unicorns i'm gonna try that and i can be playing like almost immediately and so that has been the real draw for me so i'm assuming that because of this because of the way that these themes work that all of the cards in these are are set with that theme that they are no matter what angel pack you pull it's going to have the same angels and same mana curve and all of that so that if you get it anywhere and and just mix it up you can do it with the you know that that's what it's going to be not like there's going to be angel a b c and d with different variants in it nope it's the other thing it's really yep there's a ton of variants to each theme so but yeah there's some like core cards to each theme but anytime you open up and you go oh i got i got like a half deck of angels it could be different every single time um and it will be for the most part and they might play a little bit differently from one another just so like every game has its own unique like feel to it and that's another thing that i really like about it there's there's variation within each of these too you know and i've played some really weird games in here there was one that was like destructive it wasn't destructive that's not the keyword for the theme but it it was basically like red attack spells it was like destructive walls you know and so i had like all of these green wall cards that are just defenders and then ways to turn those defenders into attackers through that half deck and then the other half of my deck was just like attack spells just like direct damage spells you know or it i don't know it's just it's fun you can do like flying goblins and they just mashing up the names of the themes gives you such a sense for like what the deck is and how it'll play and it gives you enough of that that feel you know enough of the the fact that like you've chosen two things so it's not like you're playing completely blind it's not like the choice has been taken from you but all of the busy work of deck building the actual nitty-gritty of like how many lands how many spells how many creatures all of that that part has been like put to the side you don't have to worry about that you just pick what you think is going to sound fun and just play it and that's what i really love about it and they're all roughly from the stuff that i understood when i got the email from uh arena they're all roughly the same competitive level like they're not gonna have any kind of ridiculously overpowered cards in in them are they or is it or do they include things like that on them because it seemed like it was more of a casual rather than competitive kind of a format yeah they're all roughly balanced against each other right i mean you can't balance something like this perfectly so they don't try to but there's also nothing where you open up a, a half deck and you're like oh i'm gonna win just because you got the good one right there are ones that are more rare because they're harder to play or they have more advanced cards or some of them are like if you know exactly how to play it maybe it's more powerful um but even that's questionable right so like i had one that was i think it was rainbow unicorns or it was like a rainbow plus one <laughs> but th- there was like a there was a rainbow deck and it was all five colors of mana and 
every other de- well not every other but almost all of the other decks are like one color because it's just a half deck it's 20 cards it almost has to be a single color of mana um and this one leaned into the fact that like there were ways to do mana fixing so that you could to get all five colors and then do really interesting things with them and it was like whenever i played that deck i had such a fun time because it's like if i could get it up and running i would almost always win but trying to get to the point where i was up and running was so hit and miss um yeah so you know your mileage may vary but i felt like i never i never felt that I was at a disadvantage because of the decks I'd picked, unless I had picked a really bad combination of two themes, and then that was on me and not on the decks themselves. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if you're gonna pick the uh, not the uh, what's what, what's the word? Is this not complementary? The the contrasting colors uh, for for what one of them? If you're gonna put together uh, white and black, you're going to probably run into more issues than if you're going to have a red and a green together. So, I mean, they're they they're built in general in the game mechanics to work together. So, I mean, you're probably going to have way more of a time with with opposite colors opposing colors that's the word i was looking for was opposing yeah and i never got totally shut out right like um the way that they had it in arena is that you could use some gems or you could use some coins to like re-roll anytime you wanted to and when you re-rolled it would give you a choice of three half decks you pick one of those and it gives you another choice of three or four half decks and you pick one of those and then you have like your your deck basically for the event um and then if you won once, you would get like a special card. If you won again, you would get a special card. And then if you won beyond that, it was just for fun. Um, so you would have to like re-roll to get a new deck and just like pay coins again or pay gems again in Arena. And I re-rolled so many times. I probably did this like 10 different times. And every single time, I at least managed to get those two wins to get like the bonus cards from the event. Like I never got, I got some combinations that were a lot harder to play or I was like, Ooh, I picked a bad combination here, but I never, (laughs) I never got so stalled out that I couldn't at least get two wins if I just sat down with it for like half an hour. So yeah, it was, it was roughly balanced and that's all that I'm looking for in a game like this. You know, if you give me a fun deck that's interesting to play and it's like kind of roughly balanced against the other decks I'm playing against, I will have fun with a card game. And so, like I said, this just takes away so many of the things I didn't like about Magic, like all of the upkeep stuff, and it lets me get right to the game that I do enjoy. I really hope this did well for them and they can lean into it and do more because I would play this consistently. Like I could see this being my like evergreen Magic format that I just like love for the rest of forever, basically. Well, it amazes me that it's not, because I guess that explains why I haven't heard you talk about this more, is because it's not something that's there all the time. Because when it was launched, you talk, well, when it was announced, you were really excited about it. Now you've played it and are really excited about it. I could totally see this being something that you return to over and over and over again, but it's not there to return to over and over and over again all the time. So that, that makes more sense to me, because I thought that's what it was. I thought it was going to be there just as another part of Arena. Like I said, I didn't know it was a physical thing either. I thought it was just for Arena. Well, and like reading between the lines of what they've said, it seems like it did really well and it's going to come back regularly as Arena events. But in the real world, like, yeah, they they made this. Like, this is real cards out there. You can just go get Magic Jumpstart Booster Packs and you can play exactly the way that I've been talking about. And 
you know, it wasn't designed for like high level competitive play. So the way that they recommend that you play it is to grab four booster packs and a friend. And then you open those four packs together and then you discuss between the two of you which of those four should get paired into like two different decks. That would be the most interesting. And that's how you play. And then you can just switch back and forth with the deck. So each of you gets to try it out. Um, so it's really meant to be like a quick start, easy pick up and play, play with a friend just for fun format. But I mean, now that I've seen that they can do this, I have no doubt that they can expand on that. They could also turn this around and make this into some kind of competitive format. And I would love to see what that looks like. This seems like it would be a much more fun competitive format than competitive drafting. That I would much rather have a jumpstart tournament than I would any kind of booster draft. That it removes pretty much all of the... Uh, I know we talked about it before, how there's the strategy involved in drafting. Where you are, you, Am I going to rare draft or am I going to actually go for a theme here? But this removes the complete random... Uh, shutout that you can get where sometimes you just get a draft that is garbage and you can't it's almost unplayable uh, no matter what you do where this prevents that I could totally see a jumpstart tournament being a lot more fun in person than any kind of booster draft oh yeah I could see them letting you open like six boosters and then you pick two and then that's your deck for the tournament you know or even giving you like six or eight boosters and you make two decks and you can switch between them as the tournament goes on um depending on who you're up against and what you want to do like i could i could make some cases for how you could structure this but i would love to see what like the magic design team does if they had that in mind and i get the sense that if this goes well which it seems like jumpstart is going really well they are going to do more of it and keep expanding on the idea of getting rid of some of this deck building minutiae that i just don't like so this is all good for me <laughs> i see and no I downsides this, yeah i mean this is the kind of thing that gets people back into magic or into magic when it is 30 years of of just overwhelming number of cards and mechanics that this is the kind of thing where it's like oh let's open this up and play immediately where there's still some choice there that just picking up two pre-constructed decks doesn't seem nearly as fun as saying hey let's open these and see what we can put together yeah, and you could bring back really focused ideas, right? You could bring back a creature type that hasn't been around for 10 or 15 years and put it into a theme deck. You could do the same for a mechanic that's so far out of print that most people haven't ever seen it. Why not throw that into a 20-card theme deck? Like, there's so much they could do with this. Um, it really felt like they were testing the waters here. So I'm excited to see what they do in the future. But yeah, I highly encourage anyone that this sounds interesting to go check out Jumpstart. I just, I love it as a magic format and if they keep supporting it, I will keep playing Jumpstart, even if I'm not actively playing other types of magic, just because I like it that much. And it's funny that the way that they suggest that you play it by getting like the four the four packs and putting them together and, and all of that, that reminds me of what I was going to say that I expected you to do for your family. For you and your brother and your kids to get together, have like a box of these, have like a dozen or so uh, packs, you open them up, uh, you put them together, and then you have a family tournament. That's what I was expecting to happen sometime soon, and it turns out like that was the kind of thing that they're they're going for on this yeah i wouldn't be surprised if before the end of the year i buy a booster box of these like one of those you know go drop a hundred dollars and get however many lots and lots of boosters right. are in it like i i'm very very tempted to do that 
So we'll see. Yeah, so magic is awesome. Um, this is probably where we'll break before Weekly Geekery. Don't forget, we have a Patreon. What's new with the Patreon and the network that's going on this week? Uh, the Patreon, we are working hard toward getting the uh, digital magazine going. Uh, I finished working today on uh, designing and editing the uh, uh, article on DuckTales, uh, uh, the remake of DuckTales from Alenzia from the Nerdberg Review. So that one's going to be really fun. Um, I think this is going to turn out really well. So if you guys want to see the first edition of uh, our geek to geek magazine that we're still looking for a name for, uh, go to uh, geek to geekmediacom slash patreon and uh, you'll be able to uh, see it and there's a, a sample there uh, from this this month's issue awesome yeah and don't forget we have podcasts we have streamers we have the geekery blog with the zine now there's all sorts of stuff as the network keeps expanding and i'm just excited to see what everybody does like i feel like the output of the network has gone up substantially and I'm running into articles now that I didn't even know people were writing, and I'm like, oh, this is a really interesting read. So it's kind of cool to start being on the outside of some of the content and experiencing <laughs> it without having any idea what's coming. Um, it's been it's been so cool. So all that at geektogeekmedia.com or geektogeekmedia.com slash subscribe. Also, remember at the website, we just finished up the Chrono Trigger 25th anniversary celebration where we had a lot of people talking about really cool things about Chrono... Uh, a lot of people talking about really cool things about Chrono Trigger. I mean, that's what Chrono Trigger's week was for. So we have an interview with Zaboid Games, uh, the people who made Cosmic Star Heroine. We've got looks at uh, Troidal Power, looked at all of the characters in Chrono Trigger, having known nothing about them and judged them and named them based entirely on their on their appearance. And then, you know, things like uh, looking at the music with Data Air, uh, just great things uh, going on over there, including a couple of reviews and which one is the very best version to play uh, between Capsule jay and uh mr alarm so uh, y'all should definitely go over there and check that stuff out too oh and by the way this episode is actually sponsored by podcorn.com if you've never heard about podcorn i really wanted to let you guys know about it it's a sponsorship marketplace where podcasters can go and find sponsors for their shows the sponsors will put up a different kind of ad for what they need. They'll put out a call for, hey, we are looking for this kind of show to get our message out. And then you, as a podcaster, will send a submission to them and a proposal about what your show is and how you can benefit them. You'll give them your rates. You'll show how many times you can run their ad and what you're going to be doing for them and exactly how you're going to be beneficial to each other. This actually came from Podcorn doing this, and it's a fantastic experience. I think y'all should check it out and just click the link in the show notes. It's a really neat service. I'm really excited to have them sponsor this episode, and I'm excited to be able to move forward and use the platform more to be able to bring really cool sponsors to you guys and help support this podcast. So it's uh, really cool. Check it out, podcorn.com, uh, like popcorn but with a D, and make sure that uh, you sign up and uh, start browsing all of these sponsorship opportunities. It's really cool, and uh, thank you, Podcorn, for sponsoring the geek to geek podcast with that it's time for weekly geekery where we share what we've been geeking out about this week what have you been up to i've heard something about an umbrella academy yeah so i discovered umbrella academy i don't exactly know what caused me to start watching it but i did and then i binged it over the course of two days like it was 
very good. It was way different and better than I thought it was going to be. And it, uh, I thought it was going to be this super serious, almost uh, angsty, taking itself so seriously superhero show. And so I didn't want that. But I saw the trailer for season two, and it was completely opposite of whatever I thought it was. So I started back at the beginning of season one, and after just a couple of episodes, I was hooked in because it did not take itself seriously. It was covering serious topics like drug addiction and suicide and the death of a parent. But at the same time, there is a talking chimpanzee butler and things like that going on. And so it's uh, it's really a fantastic show that... Um, I really thought it was going to be like the boys in that it's about superheroes going about their business after all of this stuff, you know, is going on, like dealing with the death of their father. And it's not. It's about people who were superheroes as kids who are now really dysfunctional adults who get back together after their father dies and it turns out now they have to stop the apocalypse from coming and it's uh, it's really interesting because it is not a normal superhero story at all so um, it it is incredibly character based and that's what really got me like the stories are good it gets a little timey-wimey in season two but at the same time these characters I live legitimately cared about and some things happened where I'm sitting alone watching TV and I'm like no no don't you do that like I'm talking to the TV because of the things that the characters are doing so I was fully invested in this narrative I need and I need a season three right now and season two just came out it didn't click with me I watched more than half of the first season but not the full season and I don't know why. I just kind of, I don't know. Obviously, it didn't like pull me through it. It was interesting. I liked the premise. I liked every time the plot was moving forward. I think there was just too much downtime. Like every episode was a, a solid hour-ish. And mm-hmm. I felt like it could be condensed to actually bring like the plot points where they're moving things forward closer together. And it, it just wasn't moving fast enough for me. But I liked every time that things were happening. So I should probably just go back and finish out season one and then try season two because you seem to really like it. Season two, I actually like better than season one, I think. Um, they do some really cool stuff with the time travel. Um, it, it, and, and a lot of people have th- have problems with time travel shows. And this one, you just have to accept that there are rules of time travel within this particular universe and, you know, not think about it. And they even mentioned that there are paradoxes that they're having to deal with. Um, so it's kind of like, uh, like the dude from The Writing Excuses says, uh, you just hang a lantern on. It and then move on. So to let people recognize that you're aware of it and you're just telling your story. And uh, that's kind of what they do. But I like season two a lot better because it deals with um, it deals with a whole lot of uh, social stuff. And I'm not saying that in a political way, but it deal like like to to start any kind of political stuff or people to, to say anything. But it uh, it deals with the, the era that it's in and handles it very effectively. Um, it's a, it's in the 60s. And so it deals with what it's like to be a uh, black woman from. From 2019, who was then in uh, in Dallas, Texas, in 1963? Like it is, it is very interesting in how it deals with that kind of thing. So uh, I really, really cannot recommend it enough. And you know, the reason I like it is the reason you don't. 
like I care about these characters and just want to have sibling interactions. Like all I want is for these seven people to interact with each other and I don't care whether or not they move it forward or not. I want to know about them and watching them uh, deal with their family stuff. I don't care about the overall plot of it that's going on. I mean, okay, that's fair. But the real question becomes, why were you playing Batman Arkham Knight this week? So, so I was. I was playing Batman Arkham Knight, and like you messaged me. I guess it was showing on PS4 that it was I was showing playing Arkham Knight or that I, I was had. Like, why? Like, not that it's bad. I liked that game. I beat that game. But like, where did that come from? Like, why suddenly are you playing Arkham Knight? Okay, so last week you were talking about, we were talking about the Marvel Avengers beta, and the Marvel Avengers beta was back on this weekend. Uh, like we said, it was on every weekend until its release. And so we had been playing it, and you were talking about how it felt so, uh, what was the word you looked for? You said uh, mushy compared yeah. to like Ghost of Tsushima? Yeah, it was not exact at all. You know, it wasn't precision. Like, it was, no. I, w I had been playing precision third-person action games, you know, stuff like Spider-Man and like Ghost of Tsushima. And I think I mentioned Batman feeling that way, even though I haven't played it in a while. And this one just felt a lot more like mushy and disconnected. And it does. It absolutely does. And so I decided, you know, that uh, PS Plus had Arkham Knight as a free download a while back. So I'd snagged it. So I decided to download it since I'd never played it. It was the only one of the Arkham games I'd never even touched. So I installed it, got it going, and I was playing it. And I realized that I think right now, at least, I am in the mood for action combat like Marvel Avengers more than I am Arkham Knight. And I don't know if it's because of Avengers, if it's because of Batman, or if it's because of Spider-Man. Because Arkham Knight seemed so... For those of you who have not played any of the Arkham games, you feel like you're Batman. You feel weight in every punch. You feel the the precision in, in the moves that you're taking. And you know exactly how Batman fights. It feels like you're Batman. And I am totally not in the mood for that, apparently. Like, it did not click at all. Because I don't know if it was the speed and agility from Spider-Man, where it made it a little more dynamic, being able to jump and flip around and use the webs and gadgets, or if it was just that I liked going around and smashing things as Hulk and Kamala, that that was just more satisfying for me. But Arkham Knight was one of those where I'm like, this combat is so slow. Yeah, it's incredibly precise and fun, but it's slow. It was like I was punching people through, like, underwater, and I just, I bounced off of it, but not for that reason. I bounced off of it and uninstalled it because of the Batmobile. <laughs> like, I, I just couldn't. Like, I couldn't see what was going on, and it was so chaotic, and it was so monotone that I was like, yeah, I'd heard bad things about the Batmobile. This is why I was like, I don't feel like doing this right now. So I may go back to it at some point, but the Batmobile is kind of annoying. Yeah, that's the weakest part of that game, for sure. It's the fact that, not that the Batmobile is in it, but that they make you use it as much as they do. It's not an right. optional thing, like it probably should have been. It's like worked into the core of so much of that game when it sh probably shouldn't be. 
No, it absolutely shouldn't be. From the very beginning, I could feel that that was how they were going to be telling some of this story. And it just made me stop. Because at one point, I lost my objective. I couldn't find where I needed to go, even though I was following the objective. The arrows took me to my objective. But there was somewhere out in the city, someone that was driving around that I had to chase. But it wasn't giving me a marker for it. It was only directing me to the spot where I was supposed to chase them to eventually. And it was like, well... Yep, I'm not going to deal with that on top of the rain and the darkness and all the the chaos going on. Eh, I don't care enough. So I then went and uh, did something else. I don't remember what. Probably played Trails of Cold Steel, honestly. (laughs) Okay. And then Umbrella Academy made me want to read the Umbrella Academy comics. So uh, they're available, at least the first few volumes of it are available on Comixology Unlimited. And I subscribed to the free month of it so that I could give it a shot to see what the comics were like. Uh, And they are so different. Oh my goodness, they are so different. Like it is almost not even the same thing. It's an adaptation in concept. Like this is one where I would love if I were still an academic to write about, to write like adaptation theory about this one because of the way that they take the very core of what it is, distill it down and make something better for the screen. Like I think that uh, based on the, the amount of the comic that I've read so far, the way they approach it in the TV show is a lot more engaging because the comic feels almost like a uh, Powerpuff Girls episode. And the uh, TV show absolutely does not. And I love the Powerpuff Girls. Let me say that. Like, I love them. But uh, that's what the that's the feel that the comic has to me so far. And the show does not. The show is very different from that. But I like it. Yeah. But you like it. Cool. That's awesome. Um, this week, I, I finished a book by Blake Crouch called Recursion. And again, this is where I'm trying not to do every book that I read this year because I've been getting through a lot. But I liked this one a ton. So I wanted to mention it. Um Again, this is one that's kind of more, uh, I don't want to say like heady, but it's, I don't know how to describe it super well, but I loved it. And I feel like that's kind of the story with a lot of the books that I'm liking this year. Um, This one is kind of a time travel story, kind of a multiverse story. And it, the core premise is that this technology gets invented that lets you time travel, but you do it by going back through your memories and you have to go to a memory that has a, that like left a strong impression on you. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, one of the things about it is if you go back to it, so like, let's say, you know, I'm 30 ish. Now I go back to uh, a memory from when I was 15 and then I live my life forward. When you hit the time where you went back in time. So, you know, whatever, like today's date is, suddenly everybody will get all of the memories from that alternate timeline that didn't happen because you had gone back in time. And so it becomes this book that's about going back in time to memories and then people still going forward in time and then they recover memories from past lives that they don't really remember anymore. And so there's this whole syndrome that's like false memory syndrome that shows up, Hmm. even though it's real memories, but it's from an alternate timeline. And 
the technology gets out there and more and more people start using it. So that effect kind of compounds on itself. And that's where the story eventually goes to. It's like, what's the final outcome for stuff like that? And what are all the implications of it? And I just, I loved it. I love this book. It was fantastic. And Blake Crouch is the one who wrote Dark Matter, which was one of my favorite books from a few years ago. So maybe I just need to check out more of his stuff. But this had the same tone, even though it's doing like a different concept. That sounds really, really cool. Like, is that part of a series or a standalone? No, it's standalone. And it's really, it's really good for it, too. I don't think this would have been great as a series. This one works as like a standalone concept for a book because it's almost like four mini books within it. You know, it's a book that's divided into four parts and everyone has a distinct feel as you understand more about the technology and the world and what's going on. That's what I was asking for, actually, is like that would be a fantastic one off. But if it were stretched out over a trilogy, it could get so complicated that you would just lose it. Like you yeah. just lose the thread so easily. So I'm glad to hear that it is what it is. Yeah, it was great. So I highly recommend that. Again, it's Recursion by Blake Crouch. Um, and then I also tried out Eve Echoes on iOS this week, which do you even know hmm. what this is? Does this ring a bell? Uh-uh. Okay. Like, I'm so, sure it's Eve Online. It is. That's exactly what it is. I, I, I like just the way that you had said it to me, but I haven't heard about this. No. Okay. So it's Eve Online, but it's for mobile devices. And I thought that that would mean that they would make it user-friendly, easy to pick up and play. You can do short sessions, right? Like an adaptation of Eve Online right. for like mobile. It's not. It is Eve Online, but it's on your phone. Like it is. I, I can't even I'm not going to play this game like I know that <laughs> I spent an hour with it because I couldn't believe what I was seeing as I was doing the tutorial. They crammed like everything from Eve Online onto a mobile device and basically just relaunched it with its own servers for a mobile game. So it's not exactly Eve Online. It's not one to one. Right. It doesn't have all the updates and all the new stuff. But all of the core components of the game are there with their complexity and with their menus and with the like there were things in the tutorial where it's like, well, click on, tap on this part of the screen and then go into this menu and then go into the sub menu of that and then go into the sub menu of that to get to this thing to do. And it's like, my mind was constantly blown by how much they crammed into here. And I also have no idea why you would play this on mobile because Mm-mm. it is not set up as a mobile game. Like, it's not friendly for pickup and play. It's not something that you could open and do five minutes and then shut back down. Like, All of the things from the main game seem to be here, like the fact that you probably want to get to a space station and make sure you're safe before you log off so your ship doesn't get blown up in NullSec, right? Uh, Like, it's EVE Online, and it's on mobile. So I had to bring it up because if you have iOS, it's free. And I really suggest spending an hour with this game just to see how crazy it is that they managed to put this onto a mobile platform. And then if you're anything like me, you'll put it down and never go back to it. That sounds kind of horrible. Like, I love the concept of EVE Online, but the actual playing EVE Online, I just don't like. And so making it like, I don't even know what, it's not worse, but worse? It doesn't, it dumbed down, but not dumbing it down right seems like it may make for a far less fun experience. It's not worse and it's not bad. It's just that, it's not the right game for that platform. Like, it's still that PC game at its core, but they crammed it onto a mobile device, and they probably shouldn't. They probably should have really adapted it so that it fit the the platform that it's on. Yeah, yeah, 
submenu, tap, 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 submenu, tap, tap, tap does not sound uh, like a very good mobile game. No, exactly. Um, but the other thing that I enjoyed and did a lot of this last week was I finished Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. So I got back around to it now that I finished Ghost of Tsushima. And I like this one a lot, I think. I don't know. It's weird. It's kind <laughs> of... Um, it's it's a weird middle game. It, it picks up right where Assassin's Creed 2 leaves off. Like, this starts immediately after that for both uh the main for desmond which is like the main character you're playing and also for Ezio, who's like the main assassin that you're playing so there's no real time gap for either one of those characters and there's a lot more Ezio in this um you know it's him and he's like rebuilding the assassin's order and he's it's kind of like him and the order that he's building against the borgia in rome and so the whole story is about him taking like the leadership role in the assassins in italy and then also building them up and like taking back the city of Rome. And that part is done okay, um, but the open world aspects are so much better developed in this compared to Assassin's Creed 2. And then there's all of these like incremental things throughout it, right? Like horses can go everywhere. Whereas in Assassin's Creed 2, horses were limited to very specific areas that you were traveling. And there's just, it's like a smoother open world experience. There's a lot more open world. Like the map is bigger in Rome, larger areas to explore. And it's just like more fun and interesting to spend time in this open world compared to Assassin's Creed 2. Um, the biggest gimmick in this one is that you can recruit, train, and then call on assassins. So you bring them in, you can build them up, you can send them on missions so that they level up, you can call them in to attack people so that they mm. can get some experience. Um, but you can basically use them as an extension of yourself to like assassinate people remotely just by calling in your assassins, which is pretty cool. Uh, so that's pretty that, fun. That does sound really cool. Like I didn't know that was a mechanic they had ever put in. Yeah, so I, I like this one. You know, there are a couple things that don't work for me. Like, the gameplay feels like more of the same from Assassin's Creed 2. It's really not that different. And then this one in particular has a lot of, like, follow-the-target missions, which are by far the worst Assassin's Creed missions ever. Um, as the series went along, they got farther and farther away from them, which is great. They needed to. Um, but there's a lot in this specific game. And then there's a lot more, like, platforming sections, which I feel like the later games have also gotten away from. Um, I like platforming in an Assassin's Creed game when it's optional, but when they make it part of the main story and you have to do some of it to like get through, it just, I don't know, it's not a super great controlling platformer. It's fun to climb in Assassin's Creed games, but it's not great to platform in them. So there's a difference there. Um, so I was feeling that every time they made me do it for the main story, I was like, oh, okay, I got to get through this. I'll get on to the next thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, overall, I, you know, I like this one, which again, I liked it a decade ago when it came out too, but it's just, it's the middle game of the Desmond story, which was kind of like, as I sat back and thought about it, I never realized that because when it came out, uh, I didn't know how many more games there were going to be with Desmond. Um, but Desmond actually has five games. So he has a five game arc and this is the middle game. This is game number three. And it feels like kind of the awkward middle child of the series but it still works. Hmm. So yeah, it's it's one of the few Assassin's Creed games that actually ends on a cliffhanger. A lot of the other ones kind of hint at future games or they give you a little bit of flavor for like, ooh, this could be coming up next. This one ends on a cliffhanger where you're like, oh my God, I need to know what happens next. Like right now, like what is the next minute after this game ends? And you don't get to find out until Assassin's Creed Revelations, which if you were playing this in real time came out like a year or two later. 
Um, for oh, me, I just okay. for me, I flipped out of the menu and I flipped into the other one because it's part of the Ezio collection. Uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting game. Um, I think kind of where I landed on it overall is I would rather have Assassin's Creed 2's story because it's a really, really well done story, but I would rather have Brotherhood's open world. So um, we'll see. I actually think that uh, Assassin's Creed Revelations, which is the next one with Ezio right after this, I think it kind of strikes that middle ground. So it'll be interesting to see how that one holds up. So, okay. So I'm confused about one thing here. Desmond is the main character. And Ezio is the is the assassin you're playing. I played enough yes. of one to to remember that. But I was thinking that it was only a Ezio trilogy. And it is. so okay, so is Desmond someone other than Ezio as well? So you as the player are playing Desmond. Right. Desmond is the character in the Assassin's Creed universe that goes into the Animus to go into his DNA to like take basically relive the memories of past assassins right right so in assassin's creed one desmond is going back and he's altair so he that's the very first assassin character that you get to play in the original assassin's creed okay and then in assassin's creed 2 and brotherhood and revelations desmond is going back and visiting the memories of Ezio. so the Ezio collection which is what i'm playing through right now is assassin's creed 2 assassin's creed brotherhood and assassin's creed revelations because those are the three Ezio games and then after that is assassin's creed 3 just to make the naming confusing and desmond is still the main character that you're playing in that one but he is going back and he's going into connor's memories from the revolutionary war so desmond has five games but it actually goes through three different like main assassin characters that you get to control. Okay, that's what I was curious about because I couldn't remember like I didn't know that particular relationship. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. There's definitely a through line for Desmond and like the meta story there makes the most sense that it ever does. I like after Assassin's Creed 3, it really jumps the shark even though it kind of does before <laughs> that. Um but yeah, I mean, the meta story and Desmond's story is semi-cohesive as you play through those five games. Okay. Like, that was that was where I was really confused, because I knew there was that meta story there, and I was like, but wait, I'm confused because I didn't know exactly where those, they tied in together, but I see now. Yeah. So I, I like that one. I'll report back when I play more of Revelations. I started it, but I need more time to actually get into it. And I want to beat it before I kind of come to a conclusion on it. But so far, I'm liking that one a lot. That's really awesome. solid. Yeah. Um, that's probably it for this week. You guys can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. We also have some great discussions on Slack and Discord. You can go to geek2geekmedia.com for invite links. And while you're there, make sure to check out all the other content on the network, like blogs and video game reviews and so much more. I blog at agreenmushroom.com, and you can find me at GRN Mushroom. That's Green Mushroom without the E's on Twitter. I'm also on the Disney Forever podcast, where we watch and react to a different Disney movie every week. I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beach. That's Beach with two E's. And I also co-host the Dragon Quest FM podcast, a show about the Square Enix RPG series. We've been Void and Beach with your Geek to Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Bye.
When toxic culture has you down. When you're just looking to laugh and have fun. Kick back and enjoy watching a video game. Or just make some new friends. It's time to visit the geek to geek Media Network. A community of podcasters, streamers, and bloggers. Well, more of a family than a community. All dedicated to geeking out about the things we love. Things like... Video games. Star Wars. Comics. Movies. K-pop. Disney Plus. Keanu. Keanu Reeves. New. Or whatever our community decides is the next best thing. That's right. We have a great online community on Slack and Discord where we chat about our weekly geekery with listeners and viewers. And each other. Yep. And each other in real time. And we can't wait for you to join us. So come check us out at geek2geekmedia.com. And escape toxic fandom for something much more... Keanu? Yes. Keanu. 